0: You are listening to Spitball with Adri Ballhawk Mallows and Marcus Innuendo Bingo Henson. Hello, and welcome to the Wildcard Weekend edition of Spitball. I'm your host, Adri Ballhawk Mallows. Joining me this week is everyone's favourite Master of the Crude. Master of the Dirty, Marcus Innuendo Bingo Henson. How are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you. Good, good. And uh, Happy New Year to you, sir.
1: Happy New Year's in return.
0: Um, As we only had four games this week, uh, as it was playoff time once again, I think it's only right that we should cover all four of the games in our first segment. What do you say, Marcus? Yeah,
1: they were all brilliant games.
0: I wouldn't go that far. But um, (laughs) with that in mind, I want to start off with my least favourite game of the weekend, and that was San Diego at Cincinnati. Can you begin to imagine why I thought this was my worst game of the weekend.
1: (laughs) Possibly going to be the lowest scoring game of the weekend. Yeah,
0: and I thought quality-wise, it didn't seem to be the same as the others either. I found myself at times fighting off falling asleep, if I'm completely honest. Now, I know that that may be taking a little bit away from the San Diego defence which I'm sure we'll come on to in a minute but um, compared to all of the other games it was the lowest quality or, or most boring I thought I mean what, what do you think?
1: Well, I was quite lucky on this one because I didn't get to actually see the Sunday ones so for me it was all about the highlights so I got to obviously get the pick of the good stuff and I got to miss out the boring stuff.
0: Oh right okay so to you it looked like it was a really good game?
1: Well to me it looked <laughs> like a, a game that, that constantly hung in the balance you know with all the turnovers and Cincinnati imploding, then kind of getting it back at half-time and then shutting themselves down and completely f- losing the plot. Uh, again, fair play though. Not just It wasn't just um, Cincinnati losing the day that uh, San Diego defence definitely st- stood up and let themselves be known.
0: Yeah, and on that front, so on the Chargers defence front, so I suppose really we should give credit where credit's due because the Chargers coaches I think did... A phenomenal job in the way that they schemed against the Cincinnati weapons in Andy Dalton and AJ Green. Dalton obviously didn't have his his best game anyway, but the way the Chargers coaches kept the defense on rotation, particularly the linebackers and all of those players that were going to be putting pressure on Dalton. I think they did a phenomenal job of, of rotating all of those players in and out so that they all stayed fresh and, and kept a constant rush in Dalton's face. Yeah,
1: it was it was definitely the, like you said, the scheme and the different blitzes packages they sent and then they were confusing. They were sending seven guys to the line and sort of pulling three of them back into coverage. It was you you watched a couple of the plays, especially a lot of the sacks. You, you could understand why the Bengals were getting... You know, some of the passes were going sort of erratic and you could see Dalton sort of rushing.
0: Yeah, he was definitely struggling with it, was not he? He kind of felt he was putting himself under more pressure and just feeling that he needed to put everything on his shoulders because the Chargers' defence, to their credit as well, were managing to shut down for the best part the likes of Ben Jarvis, Green Ellis and, uh, and Bernard as well. So
1: they're such weapons because they get utilised all over the pitch, you see. So therefore, it's not just them running or... Like, especially Bernard, he's so good at the backfield. But ones like Green, where, you know, three catches for 34 yards, it's just, it's it's amazing what they did to just completely take him out of the game.
0: OK, so perhaps I was maybe being a, a bit unfair on Cincinnati then, and we're going to put it down to great coaching work from, from San Diego.
1: I think San Diego, even, even though Cincinnati, if you imagine, you take away all the turnovers and stuff, and, you know, like that Bernard... Um, fumble pretty much on the goal line that takes seven points off and it's a It's an entirely new different game at that point and you know You could almost take that last seven seven points off for San Diego because you could tell that the Cincinnati defense that um, Ronnie Brown wasn't it? Yeah, it was he right had a reasonable end. game. Yeah, Ronnie Brown. that was you could tell that was just breaking an already broken defense as it were wasn't it on Cincinnati They knew they couldn't get the ball back and you know win the game essentially so you know it could have been 2017 so it could have been so much different.
0: That's it. And I think, again, um, props to the Chargers' defence because when you look at the the way the scoring broke down, they, they shot out the Bengals for three out of the four quarters. So much so I guess I want to blame Dalton, I guess I'm going to take that back and congratulate San Diego coaches and defence on their job. Very, very well done. <laughs> Let's keep it in the AFC and talk about, for me, the game of the weekend between Kansas City and Indianapolis. Where do we start with this explosive game, sir? Well,
1: how about the second of all time in comebacks in the uh, postseason?
0: And can you name the first? It was the Bills in 92. Yeah, good lad. Who against? Over the Oilers, overtime,
1: 41-38. to 38.
0: Good lad, nice. I'm I'm loving your knowledge. See, these kind of things would have come in very handy last week in the playoff quiz. I know, <laughs> I know. So yeah, so where can we start on this this game then? We've got Jamal Charles going out in the first series and initially it didn't really seem to impact Kansas as much as maybe we thought it would do.
1: No, because they got the likes of Davis who had a, a, a decent game if you think as a backup sort of coming in after the sort of the second-ranked the second offensive weapon in the league this year, gets
0: knocked out in the first series. Yeah, yeah. responsible um, for a third of all of the Kansas City plays. That's
1: just crazy. And you think how it's going to be detrimental, but then suddenly Smith suddenly realised that he actually he could throw for some reason. He suddenly remembered at this point in the season, oh, wait a minute, I can actually throw it 40 yards down the field. Ugh. You know, the likes of Bo was having a great game.
0: I think it's more that we forgot that Smith could throw, because if you remember a couple of years ago everyone said I, that Smith was yeah. just a game managing quarterback but then in the showdown against the New Orleans Saints he blew him off the field
1: he, he he did actually step up when it was needed and there was a few sort of like if you imagine that bow one you saw that he was at one point he was going to lateral it yes and you thought if he's going to lateral it the other guy is going to easily take it into the touchdown but he doesn't and I was I was, I was sitting there I was going Oh, lateral it, lateral it, because of course then... Oh,
0: you mean when Asbo was being tackled and he looked back to kind of hand it off like rugby style?
1: Yeah, and he, he then he sort of tucked it in again, thought better of it. But if you think about it, that turns the, the, the field goal afterwards, you know, that's a different game that could have been essentially you're talking 48-45.
0: Well, yeah, that is very true. It's just more a case of making sure you keep the ball secure, though, because on the flip side to that, there's nothing to say that had he popped the ball up in the air that the guy would have yeah, caught it that was, was straight yeah. behind him. So it could have been no points even rather than just the three that they got.
1: It was one of the ones where you you would have been devastated to be in the Kansas City locker room at the end of that game.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, but other talking points, I think, from that game, we've got Andrew Luck's turnovers. And despite the many turnovers he had, Still managed to pull off this great comeback. It takes great mentality, yeah, doesn't I mean, it, to to forget the interceptions prior and just concentrate on the task at hand.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it just showed, and of course, the fumble really gave into his sort of his athleticism because it's that sort of that reaction time you look for when you suddenly notice that the fumble's come out. He's the first guy there. What does he do with it? And he knows exactly what to do with it. He outstretches himself. He knows exactly how far he has to outstretch himself. So that's just that's the all right all-round competency of a, a true af- athletic player
0: yeah and on the comeback front kansas managed to score 31 points in the first half and managed to take it to a 38 10 lead just into the beginning of the third quarter and somehow the colts managed to find a way back into it but do we think it's also to do with the injuries to flowers and houston on the kansas defense
1: they're two pretty big injuries i mean you look flowers got the interception earlier and um I like to think Houston is quite a rock in the middle of that defence.
0: Yeah, and the play after Houston come off the field, that is when T.Y. Hilton got his game-winning touchdown.
1: You're thinking, who would have had Hilton? Well, Flowers would have been on Hilton, wouldn't he, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Another massive injury. I mean, you you can't say that was all that happened. I think it was one of those ones where when adrenaline was burning and one team came out and they gave 110, the other team gave
0: yeah, absolutely, and and the Colts receivers not just T. Y. Hilton, but you have to look at, at Derek Rogers, who had a brilliant forty-six yard catch as well, to to help one of the the Colts drives to start putting some points back on the board. But I think we should leave that game there now and move on to the NFC. <laughs> And we start with the Saturday night clash between the Philadelphia Eagles and the New Orleans Saints. Marcus, I'll let you start.
1: It's quite weird because this game had, for me, written the uh, 45-44 scoreline. It didn't, for me, seem to be a 26-24 game.
0: No, absolutely. It was the two high-powered offences. You look at the way Philadelphia have been playing all season, particularly at home. The way that they've just been rattling up the points. And, and the Saints, obviously, with, with Drew Brees, you would expect them to score a lot of touchdowns as well against a shaky Eagles defence.
1: Both quarterbacks not getting over 300 yards, I thought was another sort of little, not statistic, but sort of just two of the most, as, as far as yardages go, both in the top five of the season, doing well in, in yards uh, per game. So the fact that both were sort of kept to to low amounts, of course, Foles had a slightly better game because, of course, he didn't give up the two interceptions. But... <sighs> I don't know where it was won and lost, really, because you were looking at the differences. You saw the interceptions, but New Orleans managed to hold off from the mistakes
0: and still managed to come away with it. It was. Well, Breeze did did start with his two interceptions, didn't he?
1: Yeah, but you would have thought in a game like American Football, which holds so much momentum, and we saw how momentum can be broken and, you know, like breaking the back of Kansas City and the momentum sliding downhill to Indianapolis, you would have thought that could have completely thrown off all the game plans and it could have given it to Philadelphia very early on
0: yeah and I think it was uh, that l- low scoring and we ended up with a very dramatic fourth quarter after we'd had two Saints receivers stealing McCoy's touchdown dance followed by Lashawn McCoy showing them how it was done which I thought was uh, quite a nice little touch there <laughs> um, Yeah, so the the fourth quarter obviously it did all boil down to that and with the Saints managing to score that last-ditch field goal. Yeah, I mean,
1: that that was the one for it. I mean, the fact that it came down to a field goal in the end, that's when you're, you're sitting there going those extra yards, the third downs that they allowed them on that final drive to complete. And you're sitting there going there was a few of them there where... The coverage has just got blown slightly. You've allowed them to pick up the first down. You know, you could have called it quits there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. If I'm honest, you know how I feel about Nick Files this season. I genuinely think he was unlucky to be on the losing side this week.
1: Yes, I'd agree to that. Like I said, you know, he had the the better game. He had what, actually, we said Alex Smith earlier. Um, He had a very controlling game. If you put 24 points on the board... Um, with the, the way that both teams were playing with field goals being more attributed to scoring at the end of the day you know um you kept breeze under 300 yards you kept the running game to little more than about 200 itself probably about slightly less about 180 yards so somewhere along the line like i said i'm not sure where this got beaten there wasn't any big kickoff returns or there wasn't any touchdown returns or any like big play that shifted momentum it just some somewhere it got lost.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and uh, it was a great result for for the Saints this week, managing to knock off the Eagles. That of course moves us on to the coldest match of the weekend at Lambeau Field between the San Francisco 49ers and the Green Bay Packers. And now, while a previous playoff game at Green Bay was dubbed the Freezer Bomb. As this was just about zero with a small wind chill. When I say small wind chill, take it down to about minus 12. I'm going to name it the Fridge Bowl. So what did you think of this one, Marcus, or the Fridge Bowl?
1: I, I absolutely loved it. To be fair, it came out and it delivered everything it said it was going to be. It said it was going to be tight. It said it was going to be a close game, which was going to go down to the wire. And guess what? That's what we got.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you have to say the Packers D just couldn't contain Kaepernick this time round. No, and... Um... The addition
1: of, of Crabtree coming back for the last couple of weeks, coming off the Achilles injury, you could definitely see how he affects the defence. And
0: Yeah, because they have to it. respect that deep threat effectively, so you can't just stack the box to try and keep an eye on Kaepernick because you've got a receiver like Crabtree who can just let loose down the field.
1: Using Crabtree on those underneath routes, he was just, every time they adjusted and pulled that linebacker back to cover him in that pocket that he was suddenly in, well, that just gave... That gave Kaepernick 10 yards to just run forward. So, like you said, um, as far as Green Bay defense, every single time they made a change, every time they tried to react, unfortunately, it just gave San Francisco another play to
0: make. The only good thing you would say, though, is that the Packers team managed to keep Gore reasonably honest.
1: Oh, yeah, uh, definitely so. I mean, you looked at it, Gore, 20 carries for 66 yards, so he worked really hard. They really tried to establish the running game. But ultimately, it was Kaepernick using his feet out of the zone, nearly 100 yards from Kaepernick on the night. That's how they managed to progress, because they they challenged Green Bay to, to like like you said, honour the deep threat, but also then honour Kaepernick's feet. And you, they, they couldn't get the mix right. They couldn't shut down one of them to make the other one easier for themselves. So ultimately, it was in that sort of gamble of attrition. There was just too many pieces for them to try and take on.
0: That's it, and in the end, as we say, it ended with the last gasp field goal um, after Green Bay had tied the game. So, congratulations to the wild card winners of San Francisco 49ers, New Orleans Saints, San Diego Chargers, and the Indianapolis Colts. You are listening to Spitball. The to throw be shot. So, Marcus. What's been grinding your gears this week? You know what really grinds my gears? I'm not a Cincinnati
1: Bengal fan, but I do wish that they 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 progress in these playoffs and you gotta feel sorry for them and I gotta feel sorry for the for Andy Dalton because of course his twin came on last night and yeah, it was the bad Andy Dalton. It's that evil twin that decides to turn up. The the two interceptions, the fumble, Although give the guy credit because of course he got his first ever postseason touchdown in you know first first touchdown in three games. But if I'm in Cincinnati now, I'm stuck in I'm stuck in a conundrum because I'm like, what do I do now? I've got to somehow make sure that when I, when Andy Dalton comes onto the season next year, he doesn't bring his evil twin with him because when you look at their season, it has been a case of good Andy Dalton, bad Andy Dalton, and he's kind of getting a little bit of the the Romo bug where when it comes to big games, he's just always failing and you know when it matters most that's when he's just completely falling apart and he loses his his edge I know it was difficult conditions I know the rain started to fall as well in in Cincinnati which you know could have made it harder to hold on to the ball that it doesn't matter what I'm saying is that if you're a Cincinnati Bengals fan what's happening now is you don't know where you can place your faith in your quarterback and I think for a load of us around the league we're all in the same sort of boat so using Andy Dalton to pull myself across to that main strap line, which is for all of us who have quarterbacks who don't know if they're heading in the right direction, that is what's really grinding my gears.
0: Excellent, and of course, we all know that Andy Dalton's evil twin brother is Mark Sanchez.
1: <laughs> yes, the conspiracy <laughs> is there, it's open to see.
0: It's right up there with the Madden cover curse and Mark Sanchez playing instead of Dalton, and there's all kinds of uh, conspiracies hidden away in my. Ballhawks conspiracy closet, but we will leave those there. You got an orange peanut? Yeah, an orange peanut. Mm-hmm. For me? That's right. Oh, wow, well, an orange peanut? Well, I accept you. Now we move on to a segment that's been missing from our show for the last few weeks, and that is. Welcome to Football 101 with Professor Ballhawk and his trusty sidekick slash teaching assistant... Marcus, innuendo, Ringo, handsome. So, how do you feel about the return of the segment this week, Marcus? Ready to go. Excellent. Well, we're going to kick straight off with overtime rules. As we're now into the playoff season, and the chances of games running into overtime seem ever more likely, we're just going to recap. I so, don't think we've ever done it as part of this section, the new overtime rules that came into place with effect from last year. So, the overtime rule as it was previously was
1: Marcus, there is a, a new coin toss to proceed overtime where the winner of of said coin toss gets to choose whether they want to have possession or give the other team chance of having a chance to have possession though why you would I don't know. And the idea was to the first team to score then wins the game whether that be f- field goal or touchdown.
0: Okay. And yeah. then you had
1: you had another 15 minutes fifteen minute quarter as it were onto the end of the game.
0: That's right, yeah. So the new rules that came into play, we keep the fifteen minute quarter rule and um, but as it's overtime and we need a winner, it is to my understanding infinite extra quarters until we do get a winner but also with the new overtime rules the they have now decided that after the coin toss and the team elects to either receive or defer the ball if a team only scores a field goal then the other team will have the ball and have the opportunity to either equal that field goal or go on and score a touchdown to win the game very similar to college football and how their overtime is played and not forgetting that if A defence scores a safety, then that is also another way to end the game in overtime because it is effectively a turnover of possession and it's two points for your team because you've sat the courts back in the end zone. So that's the other way to to end overtime and I think that pretty much covers the new rules. Have I got everything in there, Marcus?
1: Yeah, pretty much. Um, The only only way to stop the other team getting possession, of course, you can't win overtime outright if you score a touchdown on your first go.
0: That's it, yeah, absolutely. So, that's the new rules. Field rule, goals so. aren't good enough now. <laughs> Sorry?
1: Field goals aren't good enough now.
0: No, and I think we all agree with that, actually. It's just so much better to see teams having to go for a touchdown to win it on that first possession and then settling for a field goal as opposed to just having a good kickoff return. Two plays late, you're in field goal range, and next thing you know it's over. It's not really that dramatic. So it's all on the flip of a coin which is what they're trying to get away from the next thing I want to cover and the last thing I want to cover in this segment this week is the position of linebacker so I'd like us to go over their, their roles and the types of linebacker we start off by explaining that the linebacker is effectively the second line of defence you have 11 players on the field as you know for defence you start off with normally a combination of either 3 or 4 defensive linemen or down linemen as they're called who line up at the line of scrimmage and behind them you then have three or four linebackers split into um, your outside linebacker Middle linebacker or middle linebackers, depending on how many you play, and you have a weak side linebacker which tends to be the left side of the field. Marcus, if you can then sort of explain their roles and the types of job they have to do or they're responsible for.
1: Linebackers tend to also hold the captain of the defense, so whereas you have a quarterback, the offense, who sort of runs the show, very often the head linebacker, as it were, the the veteran linebacker or, or a combination of linebackers will sort of run you know coordinate the defense between them and they're they're sort of a a jack of all trades but um the truly great linebackers like our mr ray lewis they become a master of everything. Yeah, and, and by that... Do... Sorry, Marcus. And um, no, so, no, no. just going to say, I, I so
0: by becoming a master of everything, what we're saying there is that uh, linebackers' key responsibilities are to stop the run um, and make predominantly make the tackles, which is why whenever you look at the figures, you'll see linebackers, particularly middle linebackers, at the top of all of the tackle charts, like uh, Luke Keekly, for example. And their other role is also to uh, cover the tight ends or or running backs depending on what type of coverage they're in so from that we have good old-fashioned run stopping linebackers you may hear them referred to as that where their key responsibilities are purely to get in the way of the runners maybe because they're not as agile or maybe not as quick as some of the other linebackers so their predominant role is just to get in there and and stuff the line of scrimmage
1: yeah they tend to be a little bit more bulky don't they
0: absolutely and then you have your coverage linebackers who range from a typical linebacker size of about two hundred and forty pounds, two hundred and fifty pounds, to some become linebackers where they used to play. For example, free safety like Brian Scott moved from safety to linebacker to play in like the nickel packages and things like that to to pick up the slot receivers.
1: Especially the um, pass stopping linebackers, they're stuck in because they will be the ones who also have to what they call spying the quarterback. If you have someone we mentioned Kaepernick earlier, he likes to run out the pocket a quarterback who likes to sometimes run with the ball. Very often you'll have a spy linebacker who just sits and watches someone like Kaepernick for the game to make sure if he's going to run,
0: then there's one guy accumulating for
1: the quarterback.
0: Excellent. So I think that will wrap us up there on the overtime rules and linebackers. Also on our website at ballhawksnest.weebly.com we do run our football 101 section alongside that so coming up over the next few weeks there will be a full breakdown for you of every position on the American football field and um, with again their roles and example players similar to what we had up for our quarterbacks. Also, if there's anything you want us to talk about on the show, terminology-wise or just in general, don't forget, you can get in touch. Send us an email at ballhawksnest at gmail.com. You can tweet us at ballhawksnest or, of course, you can leave a comment at the bottom of either the blog or the podcast page. Batted it, it's Off to the races. 40,
1: 30, 20, 10, 5.
0: Touchdown. Now we've come to the awards part of our show, where myself and Marcus break down the key individuals of the week and award our Offensive and Defensive Impact Player. Awards, otherwise known as the <laughs> Award for Offensive Impact Player and our Mr. Ray Lewis. Award for our Defensive Impact Player. So, this week, Marcus, I think we're going to start on the offensive side of the ball, and I would like to hear your runner-up for the... (laughs) ...award.
1: Okay, my runner-up this week is going to go to uh, someone we mentioned earlier, which is Michael Crabtree, who's wide receiver for San Francisco.
0: Yeah, very good choice. Very, very good choice with the game he had.
1: Yeah, I mean, eight catches uh, for 125 yards. He did have that one awkward fumble that sort of luckily fell out of bounds. But I feel that with the game... Plan they had without him coming back from his ankle injury and being able to give the defense that thing to think about for me the impact maybe not might not have been so much in the the, the stats which you know no no touchdowns or anything 125 yards is great yardage but I think it's the mind game that they then he had to enforce onto the Packers defense and the coordinators that they had to accumulate for him I think. He made the impact there by just making sure that offense had something to stretch. Like I said, all those underneath routes, finding the space and just sort of pinching the pocket there, allowing Kaepernick to have that choice to do I throw or run. I think that's where the make or break came in for San Francisco.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, my runner-up this week for the... <laughs> ...award is a former 49er, and I've actually gone for... Alex Smith, uh, quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, although he did find himself on the, the losing side this week, don't really think it was best endeavours on, on his part. And he had a huge impact on the game with his 378 yards, four touchdowns and no interceptions. And uh, ultimately, but for Luck's persistence, any other week he would have come away with a victory. I
1: think any other week you are definitely sitting there. I mean... There's 44 points on the board. I, I, I think credit to him, he really did have a great game.
0: And proved to, to all of us out there once again that he's not just a game manager, that when he needs to, he can air it out, and he is very accurate with his throats. So now uh, let's hear your winner for the... award.
1: Well, my winner, you, you've mentioned him, Mr. Persistent himself, is Andrew Luck, quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts.
0: Well, see, I was torn whether to pick him or not this week, just purely because of the turnovers as well, you see, so I wasn't sure.
1: Well, that's right, and of course, it's 443 yards, four touchdowns, but for those three interceptions, one was a bit unlucky because it cut, sort of came to the receiver and the receiver was out-fought for the ball for the interception. But what got for me was the way he managed to use his feet, getting out of trouble, seven rushes, 45 yards, and of course, the like I said, there's that athletic instinct that once that fumble from Donald Brown came out, picking it up, going for the score, ultimately making the impact there because, one, on the scoreboard, two, the fact that he he was fighting consistently, and three, being able to put all the bad stuff behind him and just concentrate on trying to win his team the game.
0: Oh, fair enough. Well, my winner actually ties in quite nicely with your winner. I've not obviously gone for, for Andrew Luck this week. I actually went for T.Y. Hilton, so Luck's partner oh. in crime this week. I felt his 13 receptions... 224 yards two touchdowns including the game winner that went for over 60 yards he just kept finding ways to get himself open
1: oh yeah i mean the, the combination that hilton's made for luck this year has been phenomenal and i think when there's a time to step it up a notch playoffs
0: perfect timing just what luck needed and when absolutely so congratulations to our <laughs> award winners this week both from the colts in andrew luck and ty hilton so, now we have our Defensive Impact Player Award, or as we like to call it, our Mr. Ray Lewis Award. And who is your runner-up this week, Marcus?
1: Someone who didn't probably deserve to be on the uh, the losing end of a score, but it was Hussein Abdullah of the Kansas City
0: Chiefs. Are you serious? He's your runner-up? If I could show you my page right now, have a look. Look, I'm pointing at it. He's my runner-up as well.
1: <laughs> oh, see, we don't plan this, people. It just sort of happens.
0: Yeah, we can't plan it. He's down in Plymouth. I'm in Aylesbury. It's just uh, not possible. We can't we do it, Captain. We haven't even got the power. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but he's got the power because he's got six tackles and those two interceptions.
0: Absolutely, yeah, And me, two two pass deflections as well, just for yeah, reference. I mean,
1: for me, he was kind of the one who he's, he's sort of come in and he's, he's... I mean, you've got Berry as well, who's another great safety. And the safety combination was really working. In fact, the, the entire sort of really... Like I said the first half-wise... They completely got after luck. He couldn't actually find his rhythm, and it just I don't know whether it was fatigue or then sudden loss of injuries and the sudden shifting of of the the changes made by the the Colts. But somehow they managed to find the weakness and sort of attack it. And um, so, like I said, I feel that he actually had one of the games, one of the better better players on that defense in, in terms of the game impact. And I, I feel that he, it's really unfair when you look at, like you said, you had. Um, Smith is your runner-up. Chiefs, really, Indianapolis deserve to go through, but it's a shame that we had to lose Kansas after that sort of performance.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's just dawned on me as well that uh, well, three of my picks so far have all come from the same game, and that was obviously the, the Chiefs-Colts game. Now, has my winner come from a different game? We'll find out after we find out Marcus's winner for his Mr award
1: and it goes to a linebacker like mr ray lewis and that is donald butler for a linebacker san diego chargers
0: hey we did we we moved away from that game finally nice okay yeah fair play so
1: for me it was the uh, 12 total tackles nine solos the one that really got me to sit there and go that made the impact was when he 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 came back and he, he got the forced fumble on giovanni bernard on the two yard line that stopped the momentum of the bengals and sort of really sort of put it in San Diego's court. The fact that they managed to... effectively took seven points out of theirs and then allowed Rivers to go up the field. And I believe they he got a field goal from it. But you're taking seven off the other team and putting three into your pocket. So that's... For me, that's that. He... His fumble there created the momentum swing that I think ultimately helped win it for San Diego.
0: Well, yeah. This week, my winner, I've slightly copped out because I actually went for the entire Chargers defence. Because uh, despite obviously my my umming and airing earlier, I knew really they did have a, a good game, and uh, as I say, th- great play by the coaches as well. But in total, that Chargers defense: two interceptions, two forced fumbles, which they recovered both of, three sacks, and they just uh, they just didn't let Bengals have a, a moment to themselves. Really, I just thought it was a great all-round defensive performance. And whilst Butler, I agree, had a, a, a big impact, I personally I, I couldn't really separate one person out I thought as a collective I thought they were just phenomenal so that's why they got my Miss award this week I'm eating burritos bigger than you it's time to go eat baby let's eat you got some hungry dogs over here apple orange orange. hot potato I don't want no crackers hungry man I gotta eat it eat him he's hungry Man, you guys didn't eat your Wheaties this morning, did you? We're eating all day, bro. We'll ground these guys up and turn them into little bitty Eagle meatballs! Finish off this week, I wanted to look ahead to the divisional playoff games next weekend and break down the key matchups, as well as, of course, getting Marcus's predictions. So, Marcus, let's start with the Denver Broncos versus San Diego Chargers. What do you see being the key factors in this matchup?
1: I look at this one again this is going to be it's going to be down to where Denver you've just seen what San Diego did on defense can you now find somehow to break that something that Cincinnati couldn't do what do you do do you put more run into it because of course after a while Cincinnati had to give up on the run game was there potential expanding on that or, or do you go for here you go Manning go win the game for us and air it out because there was of course times where you saw the likes of uh, Marvin Jones managed to get behind the uh, the San Diego defense. So it's it's going to be a question of you've had the advantage of being able to sit down for a week watch this game film, extra preparation, can you make it pay off?
0: And also let's not forget that the Chargers did actually beat Denver the last time they played this season.
1: Exactly, so they're coming in with the confidence high from this game, also they know they can beat you.
0: The question is, can the Chargers control the clock with the use of Ryan Matthews keep Peyton Manning off the field and that the rest of that Broncos offense because ultimately, if your offense is on the off the field, you stand less chance of scoring.
1: Yeah, ultimately, it is going to come down to that. I think you're going to need the defense to play as good a game, if not
0: better, for San Diego. We move then on to Indianapolis at New England. What do you see being the key matchups there?
1: It's going to be persistence. It's going to be... I think Indianapolis is going to be a hard game. This time, you're coming out of your comfy zone. you're going into New England, we know it's going to be cold. There's a real nasty freezing sort of temperatures coming right across that eastern seaboard and it is going to be cold. Yeah. Foxborough is not pleasant this time of year and it's going to be really bitter.
0: And I'll tell you one big thing for me as well that uh, I think it's going to be a key matchup in this game. Now, we all know how much of an impact Robert Mathis had On the game this week, and despite we obviously didn't mention him between the two of us, but he had a great game for the the Colts this weekend against the Chiefs. But in New England, they've got three running backs, and knowing Belichick like I do, you can guarantee that New England they're going to come heavy with the run game because that's the best way to counter Mathis' passing attack.
1: There was a lot of blitz packaging, and not a lot of it actually made it to Smith. We've seen it all year that Brady has spent a lot of time actually, he's been getting sacked more than any other season so far. So therefore, really, you have to see, is there a way of attacking this possibly weakened New England offensive line? Is there a way you can, much the way we saw San Diego, again, we're going back to this game, San Diego, Cincinnati, lots of different looks, lots of different things. Get Brady thinking, where's he going? Maybe, you know, you're not going to always get to him, but do you make him check down to a shorter receiver and a shorter pass? So rather than getting that first down, um, you know, it's third and long, or or you know, you're forcing fourth and short you know those little little details
0: yeah but I'd say I think from New England this week against the Colts I think you can expect the running backs to have at least 30 touches between them coming out of that backfield just to try and counter the the pass rush of Robert Mathis and, and the rest of that Colts defence
1: I, I think screens will be it bubble wide receiver bubble screens um, half-back screens, there's going to be a lot of screenplay, I feel. And they've got the people to do it. Vereen, we know, can do it. Ridley, we know, can do it. They're comfortable catchers of the ball. So I think screenplay will be very decisive. And, of course, when you've got the likes of Amidola, and I've forgotten the net, Edelman, that's it, Edelman, yeah. who are a nippy little slot receivers, the ball's going to be, I think, it's getting Brady to throw those lots, lots of those short, quick passes. Then that's when it's going to come down to Indianapolis being solid on defense and being disciplined you know if you're going to chase after brady then make sure you've got some guys protecting those short passes and screens
0: yeah absolutely and now we move on to two games in the nfc which are not going to be very pretty football wise but there's going to be a lot of old-fashioned smash mouth football i feel starting with the new orleans saints at seattle
1: i think this might be the dark horse i think it's the one that we might actually throw up the most and i said i'm still not sure how new orleans won it exactly But going into Seattle, I think it's definitely going to be a tough environment again. But I think Seattle, again, having the week to prepare, you've seen how they played against Philadelphia. What was it about the game that allowed them to sneak on through? And what can you do to shut it down? You've got the Legion of Boom. You've got the defense everyone's talking about. Of course, Wilson um, and Lynch make an awesome offensive attack. So what can you do to make sure your game plan is as sound as possible?
0: It's true, but then at the same time, you look at the way that the Seattle offense has played the last few games with Lynch and Wilson both not getting very many yards and the improvement that we've seen in the Saints defense this year, it's a strong possibility that it's going to be a low-scoring game.
1: Yes, could be a low-scoring game. I'm thinking after the adjustments that New Orleans will make as well to make sure that Breeze maybe has a bit more of a 300-yard game, I think this might be a surprise and maybe both teams in the 30s.
0: okay well we look forward to that if that does happen and then of course we finish off with san francisco at carolina which is of course a rematch from a few weeks ago where carolina actually came out victorious 10-9 i believe didn't they
1: this one i do think will be old school again i think it's going to be will both teams actually get into double digits it's going to be really tough Defenses are going to be incredibly disciplined, and I think it's the first team to make the significant mistake
0: could lose this game. Wow! So he kind of is, is going to ride on on the, the biggest turnover or the most impactful turnover.
1: Yeah, I think at some point it's either going to be Cam or or or, or Kaepernick is going to make a mistake somewhere. Because it's 50 I mean, both sort of grinding heads, sort of in that smash mouth sort of football where No one's giving. Sort of anyone at any leeway I think the second someone slips it could just mean that they get pushed over
0: now of course you know we don't like to do 50-50 on this show so I'm actually going to have to push you and I'm going to get your winners for each of the four divisional playoffs bearing in mind that I was 0-4 in my predictions this week and very nearly got Mickey <coughs> Big Dog Hog to write the blog and record the podcast this week because at least he got one right Um <laughs> What are your predictions for the game? So Denver versus San Diego.
1: Denver San Diego. It's going to have to come ultimately down. The fact is, I like the idea of San Diego having this kind of underdog run. Much as the the Giants a few years back, so I like San Diego for this.
0: Wow. Okay, you're going for a major upset then. Yes. No. Like upsets. No worries. What about Indianapolis at New England?
1: I think it's a, it's going to be a cold and unforgiving Foxborough. I say New England.
0: New Orleans versus Seattle.
1: This is a home field advantage which is going to play dividends and it's going to come up that it's going to be a nice, meaty, high-scoring game that we're not
0: expecting but it's going to be one to watch. I think Seattle. And finally, San Francisco versus Carolina.
1: Um, this one, I actually think that with a week's preparation, we know what other teams can do. However, we've seen that Cam is also one of these players who can be a bit choky in the big situation. So I think... Coming on Sunday you'll see two away wins San Francisco at Carolina for me.
0: Okay, so yeah, the two away wins you're going for are Chargers in San Francisco and you're saying Seattle and New England will win at home.
1: Yeah. Home win Saturday, away win Sunday. Yeah,
0: an interesting correlation there. Fair play to you. So well that wraps it up from us for this week. But as always, as mentioned earlier, if you want to get in touch with the show Send us an email at ballhawksnust at gmail.com you can tweet us at BullHawksNest or, of course, you can contact us by dropping a comment at the bottom of any of the web pages. So thank you very much this week, Marcus. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's always a pleasure. And uh, we hope you've all enjoyed it. Take care, stay safe, and thanks for stopping by.